Good morning, everyone. It's Dr. P, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Inspirational Podcast. So, obviously, I realize that, you know, you're listening to this podcast, and uh, you're probably sitting at home wondering, what the heck am I going to do today if you're not working from your computer or something else, if you're a kid sitting around? People are getting bored. I get it. This pandemic is a son of a gun, and um, I thought to myself, you know what? I don't want to get too deep into COVID-19 and start talking about that and bring the doctor part into it. I don't want to do that. I was thinking, you know what? What's going on in the world today? What can we chat about that's our experience as to what we've seen and to what's going on? You know, we can make something out of anything. You know, you, you have a desire to move forward. You can do it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy this thing happened, but I found happiness within it. And so today I decided that I would invite a friend of mine over. His name is Mark, Mark Wombolt. He's an awesome guy. He's my age, a little bit older. And Mark is a, he's a contractor and he's got some cool ideas and he's just a cool guy. And I love chatting with him. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I just invite Mark over? We'll see where it goes. We'll have some chats, tell some stories, have some fun, give you guys something to just do when you're looking for something to do. You know, just sit down, listen to a podcast, hang out. And I've had a lot of my patients and friends like, hey, doc, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Well, like you, you know, I've been kind of trying to figure out where I fit into all this and um, I've come out on the right side of things. So this little conversation that I'm having with Mark is, you know, it's nothing big, but it's fun. And uh, I think you'll get a good taste of who he is and who I am and what our ideas are and, and you know, just find a way to make something good out of something that seems kind of ugly. So anyway, without further ado, I'm just going to turn the conversation over and you can hear us chatting away and I hope you like it. And by the way, you'll hear me at the end talking about some um, life coaching. Um, I've been life coaching quite a bit at home and I've been doing that for the past year. But as this epidemic kicked in, obviously people can't get out and, and, you know, come to my house. That's not what I want to do. So I basically took it to the internet and I'm doing one-on-one coaching Uh, over the internet. And if you're interested and you want more information about that, you can go to drprococo.com, D-R-P-E-R-C-U-O-C-O, drprococo.com and go to the life coaching page. And there's a, at the bottom, there's a big field that says connect, put in your information and send me a message and I'll let you know how I might be able to help you. We can have a conversation. And if it works out great, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, at this important time in your life during this time of this epidemic and everything else, that you're not losing traction and feeling really defeated, that you've probably already gone through all that. Let's get out of the hole. Let's start working on our own personal development. Let's get happy again so that as this thing lifts and we get back outside and we communicate with friends and family, that we're a better version of ourselves. We're able to get past our anxieties and create a new and empowering life that makes us feel incredible. And I've been doing this myself for the past 30 years. I'm so happy. I love the life that I have, the life that I live. But yes, at times it's a struggle and the struggle brings wisdom and the wisdom brings clarity. And in time, you're going to find yourself feeling like so blessed just to be the person you are. So you don't have to worry about people think of you. So these are things that we could chat about if you want to. I just want to put it out quickly to you before I forget. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Wombalt and myself and um, I'll catch you on the backside. Yeah, I mean, I can't see anything 
without the damn glasses on. Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe how much I'm struggling without the stupid things. I have them everywhere. And you know what? I never thought it would be a big deal. I, I can't do anything. Without oh, yeah. the damn readers. Yeah. No, it's a nightmare. Uh, you know, I, just looking at this, at these things, all the, uh, the, the, the podcast, uh, the dials, the numbers, the everything. And just one, listen, if I was a contractor like you and I had to like read a tape measure, <laughs> I can't read a freaking tape measure. I can't see shit. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Nothing tends to make any sense to me. Well, I'll tell you how, how I ended up doing the surgery is I, I went and got the monovision, but not, um, uh, contact lenses. So one eye is up close for reading and the other one's far away. Uh, yeah. And I did that for about maybe five years. But what was happening is I was getting so much sawdust, even with safety glasses, I was getting sawdust in my eyes. And so stupid, you're supposed to wash your hands, but I'd take a lens out and oh, I'd, get a, yeah. I'd get an eye infection or scratch my, my cornea. Right? Yeah. Oh, God. So I finally got to the point after, you know, but I, and then I went back to glasses. Yeah. Off and on, off and on. And then if it's then sawdust is on them, snow, rain, fog was miserable to the point where, you know, if I wanted to set my alarm on my iPhone, I needed to have glasses. It was ridiculous. That's where I am now. I can't see anything. If I wake up in the middle of the night, well, it doesn't matter. Cause like, you know, it's really strange. I, I put the damn glasses on, right? I go to bed and I'm walking, but I'm walking around the room with the glasses on. Cause I'm about to put my iPad on. I mean, a lot of people sitting at home that they, they put the damn iPad on and then they like, I play crossword puzzles, you read. So I'm walking around going, Hey, I think my vision's getting better. You know, it's dim lit room and I'm wearing these freaking glasses. Well, you're not seeing anything anyway, you numbnut. <laughs> There's nothing to see. It's dark. Then I get into bed. I'm like, well, I don't need the glasses. I open up the iPad and I'm like, you dope. Yeah. And of course, the thing that's been getting me of all things with this stupid vision thing is getting by the stairs or something like I'll be in the kitchen cooking the other night. Right. Even today, just as I was coming downstairs into the studio. I got glasses on. I forget that I'm wearing them. So my daughter's in the kitchen, right? She's making brownies. I mean, who the hell doesn't want brownies when you're stuck in a freaking house for, a, you know? So I go up to BJ's and my wife says to me, what are you doing? I go, I'm getting brownie mix. She goes, there's four things of brownies in there. We don't need the sugar. Walk on, she says. I go, don't even go there. I go, I got to have a sugar fix, right? Yep. So I come home. Angelina says, uh, Dad, does this say a cup or a cup and a half? And I'm like, <laughs> what? She looks at me. She goes, you can't see, can you? I go, no. So she hands me the glasses. I put the stupid things on. I, I deal with her. And then I got a handful of stuff, including, um, you know, some glasses of ice and stuff for our beverage sitting down here while we're doing a podcast. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I stepped to a point where I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall down the damn stairs. Because you had your glasses on. I got the damn glasses on. And then I lose depth of field. I'm like, welcome to freaking getting old, right? Yep. Which is what's happening. I'm getting older by the friggin' second because <laughs> I'm looking over at you and your ball is a cue ball. So. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, I always was like, this, I'm no way I'm getting surgery in my eyes. But doing just like you were, like I had to have glasses all the time, all the time. And then, then what happens, you start, if you're on and off all day like you are in construction, yeah. so you can read the tape measure, I started getting headaches. Like really bad headaches from that. You from know? the strain. You know? Yeah. So anyway, I did the LASIK last, um, I think it was in uh, like end of October. Yeah, it was the end of October. And literally came home that night, you know, had the surgery, came home. They have these little protective glasses on. And this, this is a funny story. It's worth telling. Yeah. And, you know, it was fine. You wear these special goggles and whatever to bed. But I could see right away, you know. But I put these things on just to protect your eyes so you don't rub them is what it's for. Right. 
And uh, and I woke up in the morning, and just just to give you an idea, I've had this Tag Heuer watch for twenty two years, maybe. This this thing's been in scuba diving, flying, <laughs> construction, literally wars. I was yeah. still back in the reserves then, and uh, and but I haven't set the date on it for probably at least fifteen years. <laughs> So you're back in the leap year now. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and I go, oh, this freaking date's wrong. Did you fix it? Yeah. You could see it? I could see it. Ah, and I cool. couldn't even see it with my reading glasses. It's yeah. so small on the watch, right? But I literally, I woke up in the morning and I go, this freaking thing's wrong. I, listen, are, are, we, are we a couple of middle-aged dudes or what? I mean, I have a watch, you know, doesn't every guy have a, a damn watch, you know, yep. you know, women have their things, men have watches and cars, I suppose. Yeah. I like watches. I love a watch. So mm-hmm. I have a nice watch, but I haven't seen the date in seven or eight years. <laughs> so I always say to my son, Hey man, what does it say? He's like, uh, it's a seven. I'm like, thanks, <laughs> because then I got a damn phone, right? right? Who doesn't right. have a phone? Right. People don't even look at the things because, because they have the phone. But if you grew up with a watch or you had any kind of a, a trade, yeah. you know, whether you were, especially if you're a pilot or scuba diver or anything like that, you had to have a watch. Right. And so I, I've never not had a watch. But you always had to have a good one too, didn't yes. you? Yes. <laughs> not a yeah. piece of junk. No. You know, no. it's just funny because, uh, you know, for our audience at home who doesn't know where we're at, you know, there's this, there, there's this thing going on and I don't mean to belittle it, meaning this epidemic pandemic, but you know, I'm tired of talking about it. It's messing with people. And I'm seeing it in my clinic and I'm watching it on TV and it's messing with guess who? Me. I'm like, I don't like it. So I, I just, I had to stop and get away from it. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to do a podcast. Get on and start talking about, you know, all the the tough stuff that's going on right now. I'd rather just talk about the stupid crap <laughs> that I've been doing at home that I got to tell you on a scale of one to 10, right? Everybody has like a, Kind of like a an average stress that you could put a number to it if you wanted to. So I would say to a patient, hey, man, what's your average stress in a month? You know, is it a, on a one to ten? Is it a ten, a five, a three? Where is it? It gives me an idea of, you know, what's going on with them. So <clears throat> for myself, if I gave it a number, I would have said it was a three. And, you know, why a three? Not because I don't have a great life, because I do, but it's it's busy, right? It's itemized. I've always got to be somewhere. I got to be on time. I got to pay the bills. I got to keep moving. And I love it because I created it all. But um, ever since this, you know, we wound up having to stay home, something really incredible happened. I don't have any stress. I'm like hmm. 0.5. <laughs> and it's freaking other people out again. They're like, what do you mean it's 0.5? I'm like... I'm staying home and I'm sleeping in every damn day. Then I get up, I scratch my you know what's, I hang out with the kids, and then I go to work for a little bit. And then when I and I'm only seeing probably twenty percent of what I saw before. I'm not if I saw thirty patients in a day, I'm seeing six. Wow. You know that's that's the nature of where we are. But I got to tell you, while I'm at home, what I've realized is that. You know, I love my kids. I have a great family. I've got everything. But it's never been this rich and deep because I've been a worker my whole life. I know you have too. So we tend to work more than we vacation and, and, and party. So I'm like, huh, now I'm not forced to do it. I'm just enjoying this time with my children and enjoying these moments. So my stress went down. My sleep is incredible. My huh. body's not sore. Wow. And I'm not working out. Yeah. I wish I was. I should, But the I gym's would. closed, yeah. yeah. the gyms are closed. I'd rather yeah. be there. But, you know, I'm going for yeah. walks. I'm doing that kind of stuff, so. 
Well, it's funny you say that because I had one of the, one of the guys that works with me said to me today. He goes, you know, the one thing I've under I've realized by having the shutdown is he goes, there's no reason for stores to be open on Sundays, right? Banks, there's no reason. And it's and it's like, yeah, it didn't used to be that way. No. We all nothing was open on Sunday. Everybody went to church. It was family time. Do you think it's like gluttony that we learned over time? I mean, remember the blue laws where you couldn't buy alcohol outside of, well, you couldn't buy it in Massachusetts on Sunday. Right. And then they kind of, I think it was New Hampshire and Vermont, you can buy all the alcohol you want there. And we were losing money, if you would. You know, people were going across the border on Sundays to mm-hmm. get alcohol. Yep. They're like, okay, so we'll shrink the, the distance. You can, what, 10 miles or 15 miles to the border, you could buy booze. Yeah. I'm like, how did we get to that point? Yeah. Well, it's that? definitely slow because it was the blue laws were initiated for, uh, to to give people Sundays, you yeah. know, and they and it was everything. It was stores and everything. Nothing was open on Sundays. Yeah, close it down. Even the banks family. are open on Sundays. Yeah, you know, yeah, what the heck happened? Yeah, but it's funny that this guy Danny, who's the last guy you think would even give a rat's about family time, yeah, actually said to me, "Hey, he was really cool." You know, <laughs> right. as, as much as this virus is horrendous, yeah, he goes just having the stay at home type deal. He says it's unbelievable. He says family's like starting to feel important again. Yeah. Kind of cool. I think that obviously it's happened with myself and you and I have talked before that we're starting to see what's coming up next. You, there always has to be some sort of a shakeup, whether it's your business or whether it's what we're going through. There's a shakeup happening. What's going to come on the other side of the shakeup? Right. You know, I mean, are kids going to be doing online classes in the future as well instead of paying these ridiculous fees that they're getting jacked by these you know universities that are being subsidized by the United States government mm-hmm. and they're just jacking the fees but they're not changing the educational process they're building new buildings they're adding chancellors with you know more chancellors with more money it's like what are you doing right is the future really well, I think I think that? it is I think you're definitely uh, gonna see a huge shift and and there already is full education, you know, continuing ed is still on, is online now, but yeah. I think it's going to take a much bigger chunk yeah. of the dollar. You know, in my world, obviously I have to see a patient because I have to put my hands on them. Right. That's what I do as a chiropractor. But even the medical teams now, right, they're just doing a lot of stuff with people who are at home and they're communicating through these teledoctors or... Yeah, no, you know, my brother just got a, a sinus infection, you know, medicine and diagnosis no kidding. On a, on whatever that FaceTime, basically FaceTime with the doctor. Yeah. It's kind of cool. You know, they never did that before. No, it was no. always, you have to come in, you have to see the doctor. No, you couldn't get a prescription for aspirin without going in and seeing him and, and taking his time and paying a copay. I'm telling you, right? It was about, um, I don't know, uh, last summer. I was at Hampton Beach, right? I'm at the, I'm at the beach. And um, I got this big overhang and it's sunny, it's warm. I'm having a great day with the kids. But I'm white as a as a ghost you know I, I got no reason to be at the beach other than to sit underneath the tarp well one of my legs is sitting outside of the tarp and then you see the sun is moving throughout the day mm-hmm. it scorched my right leg really bad wow I was like oh man that's cooked I didn't even know it till I got home then it started to ache and it was painful and swollen and I went oh crud man I think I got myself a nasty case of cellulitis staphylococcal infection how do I know that 
Well, because I've had it before in that extremity. I hurt myself, wrecked my ankle. I had a staphylococcal infection. It was miserable, right? So I knew what it was. I knew it as a doctor, but now I knew it as a patient because I knew how it felt. So I call over to my doctor. I said, hey, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I don't want to put his name out there, but I go, Dr. So-and-so, it's uh, Dr. Bukoko. What's going on? I got this thing on my leg and cellulitis. I just need uh, I need a prescription in order to uh, combat the virus, I mean, the, the bacteria. And he goes, oh, you have to go to the hospital. I'm like, why do I need to go to the hospital? It's a cellulitis. He goes, how do you know it's cellulitis? Because I know. <laughs> I go, let me tell you why. It's beet red. It's killing me. When I bring it above my heart, I'm okay. I've had one before. He goes, okay. Um, you got to go to the hospital. I'm like, wow. what? So I go over to the hospital and I say to the, the doctor who comes in, uh, she says, what's going on? I says, well, I have a staphylococcal infection. It's cellulitis. I just need an antibiotic. She looks at me. She goes, how do you know those? I says, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm in healthcare and I've had this before. She goes, oh, give me a second. She comes back. She goes, yeah, it's probably cellulitis. Here's your medication. You can go. <laughs> I, was, I was out of the hospital, right? 25 minutes. Wow. Name a time when you went to a hospital, when you in, checked in and checked out in 25 minutes, which was awesome. But then again, what am I doing there when I, you know, it was just as easy for him to say, let me, if he could see it. Right. Would that have been cool? Like if I FaceTimed him at the office and said, what do you think this is? Oh man, that's nasty. Mm -hmm. Let me send you over an antibiotic. But the insurance companies would never allow that. Neither would the AMA. So there's got to be some change that's happening now right, because right. of what we're going through. Yep. And I think that even though there's been some tragedy and it's awful, I think the change that's that's going to come from it could be pretty good for our communities and really help us to, number one, be more efficient, maybe save some money while we're at it and find yeah. better ways to do things. You know, you said something to me earlier, and I wanted to uh, wanted to ask you this. I didn't know you were you were in the reserves at one point. Were you in the military? Yeah, way back. How long? Um, I did the reserve for about six years. So you have a new business, right? Uh, uh, I've talked about it before, but it's uh, specoptools.com, right? Specoptoolgear.com. So, uh, tool gear. So four words, people. Specoptoolgear.com. S O T G. S acronym. Yes. Um, <laughs> tell us about it because I, I want to know about, now I'm starting to understand what you donate out of that and maybe why you do that. Tell me about that. Well, basically, as soon as uh, I started this business, I immediately ended up partnering with a group called Special Operations Warrior Foundation. And they've been around since the uh, the Desert One in, t in uh, the early the 90s uh, no the 80s when uh, Jimmy Carter sent them sent oh. the soldiers in to try to rescue the hostages yeah the Lebanon was, thing uh, was it Lebanon? Iraq yeah Iraq I'm sorry yeah. I'm sorry Iran excuse me we're both wrong the Iranian hostage crisis yeah. in, and I believe that was 83 but anyway there was a terrible accident and helped two helicopters collided and a in a C-130 blew up yeah. on the desert floor full of fuel uh, and a bunch of guys got killed anyway they were all special operations guys. And so after that happened, this group formed. And, and the main mission of the group was to take the children, the surviving children of, of the, the warrior that died and pay for their education. Yeah. So that mom, you know, in those days, dad always was the one fighting. Yep. There are women now that are in the special operations, believe it or not. Um, but the uh, they would make sure that those kids had school from nursery school through college. Yeah. And... Right now, there's about a thousand kids, just under a thousand kids in the program. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, with your uh, Spec Ops tool gear, I, I've seen them. They're awesome. The vests for uh, the construction guys for all their tools to keep on their body, and it's in camo. 
yeah, you've got we got camo and tan, and basically, I mean, we can get in. I'll discuss the vest in, in a minute after I kind of finish. So basically, every yeah. everything that we sell, we donate a certain percentage directly to them. So every quarter, uh, they get a check, and they've been they've been awesome. They've been really uh, appreciative of what we're doing, and beyond us actually giving them money, we're just at one more venue to get their name out there, right. you know, and try to get other donors to donate directly. Um, in the world of, of uh, foundations and charities, there's all different tiers, you know, how much money actually goes to the people versus the board of directors and, and whatnot. Right. And, all the administrative things. Yeah, exactly. And these guys, you know, it literally almost every dollar goes to the families. Uh, you know, the most people that are involved, they're all volunteers, former uh, special operations guys, I think right now. Um, a, ge- a retired general is the head of the organization. Prior okay. to him, it was a retired admiral that was a, a Navy SEAL. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So how, I, I read on your website, it's like a, a small, uh, a percentage, or is it a flat fee or a percentage that you've been doing? Yeah, right, right now we've been doing like seven fifty per unit yeah. and then uh, of every sale. And, and then what ends up happening is, you know, is the world of social media. And, you know, we have certain specials, basically incentive plans where we double sure. it. Um, yeah, and, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's, it, it has been. It's amazing how much how much it adds up. How did you do? You think that your experience yourself in your own military career gave you a, even more of a connection to that, or was that um, just, is a, this just a little man? bit? You know, I, I I I was you know I was we were activated for the Gulf War, but never went anywhere. Um, it was over so quick. But right. um, my college roommate is is a guy who's was until recently the most decorated Green Beret. Okay. And uh, and so, um, decorated living Green Beret. Let me okay. be clear: there are other Congressional Medal of Honor winners that are dead, right. uh, but there is one now, the Congressional Medal of Honor winner, who is alive. Okay. No uh, and he, that's relatively new. But anyway, so my college roommate, uh, who, you know, obviously very heroic guy. You know, when I started, you know, sharing with him that I really wanted to donate to one of the foundations. Right. And without any hesitation, he's like, "Oh, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta deal. These guys are the best." Yeah, and you know, the Navy SEAL Foundation's fantastic. There's a lot of great organizations out right. there, but you know, out of his mouth, he's just like, "You, you, there's nobody better." Yeah. And so I did some research, met with them, and and completely agree. Yeah, I mean, to touch people's lives like that, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a, I, I spent my whole career trying to help people, and it's nice to meet somebody else who says, "I want to help and give back." You know, and it's it must be near and dear to your heart anyway, because, uh, listen, I've never served in the military, so I have no uh, I can say nothing about my experience, but I, I can only imagine and I watch uh, people who have served. It's like a, a brotherhood or an, a sisterhood. It, it, it's if you're in it, it's like if you're a Marine, for instance, you're a Marine for life, right? Yeah. You can be 109 <laughs> and this young kid's 21, you know, and we're brothers, right. so to speak. And I don't right. mean any disrespect to the, to my lady, uh, that serve as well. Uh, but, uh, that's the world I come from. Uh, but I look at it and I think, wow, it's like a, it's a brotherhood of people that only know it if they've gone through basic training and they've gone through stuff and they've lost people. And it's like, wow, I don't want to be part of it. <laughs> I don't want to serve in the military, but I have the ultimate respect for it and watch people give back like that. It's pretty no. cool. No, it is. I mean, and I, and I, I use the you know, same analogy when you see these guys, I work with a couple Marines and, you know, we, of course, there's always a back and forth. Yeah. You know, uh, Jarhead. Yeah. 
it's, <laughs> it's it's great. It's all real solid, good fun, and yeah. and you know the back and forth between the service branches, who's better? Yeah, you know, and you can get into all the cadence chants and everything else. It's hilarious. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The only time I ever used the military in the neurology world and, and what I do <clears throat> is I talked about the immune system. And when, like when your doctor says you have Crohn's disease, for instance, you know, a lot of people at home probably have had some gastrointestinal thing. It's either IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, or it's Crohn's disease. How do they know? You know, how do they even know what the heck it is unless they stink a tube up your backside and peek around, <laughs> right? Not, I always say that that's a one-way highway. I don't want anybody else in there, nope. right? But what they do is they look under a microscope at the, at the cells that come, that are in the blood. So they'll look at like um, underneath a, a slide and go, we're seeing neutrophils. They're a type of cell, uh, a white blood cell. And with the neutrophil, we find fecal cal protectin, and that's what it excretes. So if they see that, they know what produces that. That's how they know that it's hmm. colitis or if it's Crohn's disease, because that's very responsive to those areas. So I was teaching this one time about inflammation, how inflammatory cells can wreck us. Uh, but they're supposed to, right? We need inflammation. People say, oh, I don't want to be inflamed. But yes, you do. You want to be able to kill virus and bacteria, and that's all done through an inflammatory process. So I, I did this video, and it, it, was, it actually went pretty good because I had a lot of feedback. I said, listen, there are at least four branches of the military, I, I guess five if you had the Coast Guard piece, right? And again, I'm... Six now. What's the six? Space Force. Oh, Space Force. All right. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> so I go, listen, if you look and you see a jarhead, does a jarhead in his uniform look any different than a squid in her uniform? Yes. <laughs> they, they have a similar purpose though, right? They're to protect America and in all its assets. I get it. So that's what the immune system does. So it has a bunch of different faces. Hmm. So you look at the, at the military and you go... I know which branch I'm addressing at the moment. So let me ask you, do you think you're going to see the Navy in the middle of Sudan? No, there's no water there, right? I mean, certainly there's, you could argue it being a military person, but when you see uh, an aircraft carrier filled with, with Navy people, you know where you are. So you know what the diagnosis is. Right. Yeah. And I was like, wow, actually works out pretty good. And I taught myself more about the immune system by keeping that mindset that visual. if you see these yeah, cells, yeah, visual. it's a visual. Yep. It's really, a, it's a cool visual. So, but um, I meant to ask you, when are you shutting down your business? <laughs> you get that look on your face like, do I have to? Uh, is it, are you dying right now on the vine or is it still okay? Um, up to this point, I mean, I know that there's actually, I don't know if you're, you're, you've heard it already and I just haven't, but construction is, is, is open right now. You guys are essential yeah, still? Yeah. yeah as right. am I. But there has been some discussion. Uh, and in fact, today there was a meeting about shutting it down. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think the governor signed it yet. And I'm, I'm hoping I get another week. I got a house to turn over. I got about another week, week and a half and I'm done. So I've been hearing from not only yourself, but from others who are uh, working in your trade that a lot of people are a little wigged out when others are coming to work on the home just because of what we're all going through. Oh, yeah. Through. No, there's no there's no question about it. I uh, actually all of my custom work beyond this this last custom house. Yeah. It's already been canceled for the year. Oh, kidding. Yeah. Everything got canceled. Um, so once I'm done with this, uh, I'll be focusing most of my attention on on the uh, SOTG business, uh, which is good, which is good. I yeah. mean, that may be a blessing because, fortunately, uh, it's they're still selling every day. 
Yeah, why not? And even though the most of the country is shut down, you know, we're still getting sales every day, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I wish it was like it was in February, yeah. but it's, at least it's still plugging along. How many years you been in business? Uh, I've been in the construction field, you know, working pretty much for myself. I took a hiatus and worked for a big firm for a while for, uh, you know, gosh, 35 years. Yeah. And how many times has it things just swung in a direction you weren't prepared for? Enough? Oh yeah, no. We've I re, you know I remember the big ones. You know, in the in the early nineties, we had yeah. two different two, two different shutdowns. The the big thing that was different, though. I mean, you can look back and remember yourself. But in 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 the nineties, we had two crashes: early nineties and late nineties. Yeah, and that shut down new construction. But the remodeling business never died. The additions and renovation work yeah. never died. But two thousand seven eight, when it crashed, everything died. Yeah, there was nothing left. All, all the players came off the table there for a while. That was really tough. Even for myself, you know, I I actually was working for another doctor while I was still running my business. We got really decimated and hammered up here in 2007 and 8 when all that, you know, when, when the crash hit. I was like, holy crap, what am I going to do? And I just looked at my wife and she said, we're just going to, we're going to do it. We're going to work our butt off. We're going to do whatever we have to. So I took a job that was, uh, three hours of driving in New York, uh, actually in Southern Connecticut. So I had to go through a, a part of New York to get where I was going. I'm like, this is miserable, wow. but I got used to it. How and long did you do it for? Six months. Yeah. You know, and I had, I had heavy bills obviously. And, but it, it, it wasn't for me. I never felt bad. Like it was a reflection on me as a doctor. Cause it wasn't, it was that people were really afraid because th- people were losing their homes in 2007 and right. eight. nobody I mean, had the money. Nobody had the money. So, no. you know, the first thing they thought of was like, listen, if I have chemo, I'm going to spend my, if I have cancer, I'm going to spend my money on chemo. But if I'm dizzy and I have a migraine, I'll just take Excedrin. I don't have the time to fix it right now. Right. right? And that right. was my specialty. So I'm like, wow, that, that's going to be rough. So in those times, like when I was traveling down to Southern Connecticut, I was working with another physician who was actually a student under me when I was teaching neurology. Hmm. So he said, I have money and I'm in a very wealthy area. I would love to have you come in, work with me, help my practice to get up to speed, and then I can have you as a reference and a resource. So I'm like, okay. So Hmm. I was doing three days a week there, three days a week up here, had my Sunday off to just sleep. To get ready to get up and do it again, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh yeah. And I kept thinking to myself, this is what my dad did, you know, his whole lifetime. My dad and mom were born in 1928. They lived through the Great Depression. Right. They were teenagers when the World War hit. And my parents had eight children. How did they do it? Well, they did it with resilience and you know, with a sense of uh, of desire to get it done. And they didn't look for welfare. I'm not saying that you right. shouldn't, but right. they, if you possibly, and I kept saying that to myself, if I could possibly get through this without having somebody to have to help me, this could be one of the greatest you know, times in my life because I'm finding out what my true worth is. I feel bad today because some of the, the youth aren't going through the same lives that we went through. So my wife says to me today, you know, there's all this financial stuff that's going on with small businesses. Obviously, I'm one, you're one. And, you know, there's some governmental policies right now, financially, these uh, payroll protection acts and stuff. So we're looking into it. And my wife looks at me and she's really tired, sitting at the computer. So I look at her, I go, you okay? I could see the stress in her face. I said, hey, we've been married for 30, uh, for 24 years. We've been together for 27 years. I've been in this practice for 30 years. 
Nothing's taking me down. This certainly ain't taking me down. It's not going to take you down. We're going to rally and we're going to kick ass. (laughs) She looks at me and gives me just that little smile. For a moment, she wanted to go to the old world in her head where, you know, she gets a little anxious about what's coming. And Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, you're right. I go, I know I'm right. I go, so let's just keep pushing and we'll do what we have to do and keep working. But we're spending wonderful time together. I couldn't be happier being at home now this morning, right? Uh, by the way, you're still getting up early and heading out to work early, yes, crack yes. of dawn? Yep. I'm not because I'm scheduling people at 11. No, the only real change for me is I wear a mask now. You do? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a, some type of asthma thing. I don't want to get it. Yeah, I don't you know. You. And, and the guys are all, everybody's really respectful. I mean, we've got a, uh, my crew of guys, and not that, not that we're group hugging, but... You know, it's just a, uh, you know, it's a close group of guys. But right now we're like, you eat lunch in your own truck. Right. <laughs> you end up looking like the kids. You're texting each other in the truck from, hey, what's up, man? Put on AAF. This sounds good right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the big, that's the biggest shift for us. But again, once we're done and turn this house over, uh, we don't know what's coming. Yeah. We really don't. Yeah. I haven't had that since 08. I mean, yeah. we've, we're fortunately blessed to be busy all the time. Did the, you get past 08? Yeah, it was the same. It's kind of funny. It's the same thing. I back back when that hit, um, you know, I was in a little bit of a career change. I had put away enough that I went back to school to get my uh, master's in uh, education because I wanted to teach high school history. And just as I was getting that up, then that hit, and I lost that. <laughs> and you were history, <laughs> and I was history. History was history. <laughs> and uh, and now you know I'm kind of gearing up with this SOTG thing. Uh, and you know, Spec Op Tool Gear has been just doing fantastic for a new company, and uh, starting to think, you know, hey, I can see, you know, turning down the building and turning this up. I could see it very clearly happen, and then all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> yeah. another another one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you and I have been around a long time. This timing is everything, and just when you think you got it, nope. yeah, not that you don't have it, and you know, obviously, I have it too. But there are days when I realize that. The time frame, the trajectory of the whole thing, you got to calm down a little bit. Best laid plans of mice and men. That's right, yep. you know. And, you know, for me, in my business, I'm, you know, I, I like where it's at. I don't want it to get huge because I don't, if I was huge right now, I had literally planned to build a, a new building and have a medical laboratory in there. When I was doing my whole neuro rehabilitation clinic, I was really going to make this thing go. Right. And I... Something told me not to do it, and I didn't, and I backed off. That was 2008. Wow. And so I backed off, and I just said to my wife, if we had made that deal, I'd, we'd really be in trouble right now. We'd have so much overhead, so much going on. Right now, it's actually, and I think that's maybe not why I'm not that stressed out about anything. Right. I've kept it simple, and I can handle it. It's not mm-hmm. going to be a big deal. Right. So it's been fun as I've been doing life coaching. Well, you know I life coach anyway? Yes. So- you know, people come to my studio here where we are and I life coach in here and I love it. But, you know, not everybody is going to go out now. And, you know, social distancing is important. I certainly understand that. So I started doing it on Zoom. If you're listening at home, listen, and you want uh, some help, or not only with this, because I don't mean to be an opportunist. Hey, let's just do it because people are home struggling. Right. But you're home making time. You're forced to make time to do nothing. And if you haven't had a great level of, of uh, personal development, you got your life coach online. Nope. No, doing- you know, Jocko Wellens. Wellens yes. Uh, one of the things that he's been saying with this whole uh, cor- uh, coronavirus thing is control what you can. Exactly. 
you know, and so that plays right into it. If you're somebody who's working at home, you're stuck at home, whatever, improve yourself. And Peter can be a part of doing that. And, yeah. uh, you know, it may, it may be get your whole life and trajectory reassessed and reassigned. So when things do clean up, you're ready to hit the road running in a slightly different direction. And, you know, I think like when we think about it, right, we're kind of in a finite mindset where we're like, when things get better, well, 2008, when did they get better? You'd have to go back and figure it out. They're getting better the moment you realize you're in a shithole. <laughs> it, it is, whether you like it or not. You just can't see it because you're aware. And the awareness is the key to almost every problem that you ever have. Be aware that it's there and know that you have this thing going on so that you can start working in your head first to start fixing things. Like, I'll give you an example, right? There was a time that I wanted to learn to speak Italian. And I'm like, I'm going to take courses. I'm going to do all I'm like, oh, so I don't have time for any of that. So I decided to add it to something called walking. So I got a, an audio system for my, uh, you know, for my headphones. And then I would study Italian by walking. Now, you can study Italian, just saying, right now if you wanted to, because at least where I live, you can still go walk through the woods and go outside. Right. So you go outside, you go for a walk, you clean up your head, you know, hey, buongiorno, oggi <laughs> bello, you know, it's beautiful out. And the, bir- the birds think they're lost. <laughs> right. So I go, it was funny, it was uh, right after 2008, nine, maybe 2010, I'm back in Italy with a friend. He's decided to come with me on this trip. So we're in Florence and I, uh, I go into this little hotel and uh, in the downtown Florence. So I walk up and say, buongiorno, come by. And I'm having this conversation with the guy at the front desk. And we're talking back and forth. And he's asking about America and what's going on out here in Italy. And, you know, your room's going to be 15, 20 minutes. And you can have a seat. So it's all happening in Italian. So I look over. My buddy looks at me and he goes, what the hell is that? He's kind of looking at me like I got a, a, you know, a bird shit on my head or something. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, you speak Italian now? I'm like, well, yeah. I, you know, when I was out walking and taking those drives down to Connecticut, I studied Italian while I'm at it. So you, you never know what can come out of anything. Wow. You know, that's, I, that's really cool. Speak a foreign language. How did, where'd you get the time? Make the dang time. Yeah. You know, right now, what do people have a lot of that they probably haven't had in a long time? Some time. Right. What could each one of us be doing today to improve ourselves? And, and I have to say, it's perspective. So, you know, a great way to get perspective? Music. You've been listening to music since you've been going. Well, you're not even out of the out of the realm yet. You're still working pretty hard, but you can see the the writings on the wall. But the music seems to to bond people together. Do you remember the band the the uh, well the band called the band? It was a uh, um, Robbie Robertson. They used to be um, the background band for Bob Dylan. So that kind of split up. And the band themselves needed to come up with their own name because they were no longer with Dylan and they couldn't come up with it. So they had all these different opportunities and, you know, things to think about what they wanted to call themselves. And finally they go, well, he always called us the band. (laughs) So let's just call ourselves the band. I'm like, okay. So the band, Robbie Robertson was the lead uh, guitarist and he wrote a song called The Weight. Take a load off Annie. Take a load for free. You never hear that song? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, you put the load right on me. So I'm all excited about this, right? I love the song. I found it on YouTube the other day. Uh, it's called, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a movement called Playing for Change. It's a global thing. So mm-hmm. what they do is they take um, these musicians from all different continents and they go over and they video and audio tape them playing the song. Mm-hmm. So they've got like, 
you know, 10 to 15 different people from all these different countries. Then they come back to the studio and they put it all together. Then they make a video out of it with a song. And what you see, which I think is so powerful, is that it doesn't matter whether you are from India, from Burma, from Indonesia, from Canada, from America. Everybody singing it is like, like a child. They're so happy and so drawn wow. together. Yeah. And then when you see it played, and I hope anybody's listening, just jump on and look up The Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, uh, on YouTube and just watch it. And if you're old enough like us, because you know I'm as old as pain, <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me feel so incredible. And I recognize something. And this has been said before, I kind of parted it, but I feel this, that w- there's more that unites us as people than actually separates us. And when a guy is playing a sitar over in in um, uh, in uh, uh, Nepal, and he's playing the weight of a song that was written in the United States, he doesn't care where it was written. He's just playing it. And I'm like, dang, what is going on? Why do we persecute and beat the hell out of each other? When this part is what's been killing me by watching it on television, this whole virus thing, everyone's yelling at each other. Yeah. What have we learned? Yeah. I, I just don't know. <sighs> Drives me insane. No, uh, it's if there was ever a time for unification, it's now. And and clearly, uh, I think I think election year, on top of just a really divided nation, yeah, just makes it that much worse. And it it's it's pretty dirty. I mean, you and I could go and spill into politics, which I don't, I don't want to because no. I'm trying to get out of that. Right. 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 I actually took my Facebook page and deleted it. So if you're listening now and you're looking for me on Facebook, I permanently listen to when I say this, I have permanently deleted my Facebook account. Facebook isn't not Facebook itself, but the forum has allowed people to hate and to be judgmental and to just scream at each other. I know there's some good things on this, so I don't mean to offend anybody because I know that families get together and you see friends and stuff. But on my dang page, I just kept seeing more verbal vomit. And I'm like, you're not going to change anybody. One thing that people should really remember, you're not changing anybody. If you don't like something or you're passionate about something, you're not going to change anybody. So while you're puking your stuff out there on the world, what good is it? No one's listening to you anyway. And if they are, they're going to try to one-up you. Then you're going to have a screaming contest with each other. <laughs> and people like me are going to look at it and go, why am I on this? Because I'm on this trajectory for feeling really good, almost a rebirth. So I killed it 100%. You know that on Facebook, you can take your Facebook page and you can deactivate it. But that means it's still open. They can, Meaning that you can still go back anytime you want. And it's the same when you go on there and you try to get rid of the entire account like I did, permanently delete. You can't permanently delete for 30 days. Wow. It's their buffer. Wow. They want you back. They don't want you to leave. They want you to stay. Right. Human brains are big. You start out around 300 grams and then it grows to 1300 grams. Pretty cool. Because it connects more and more. The brain, you have more connections in the brain, which makes it just thicker. So you get a bigger brain. That's why a kid's skull isn't completely fused. It takes almost till 18 years of age till the skull fuses because the brain is still growing as it makes connections. And what do they learn? They learn language. They learn coordination. They learn schoolwork. They learn emotional stuff. They learn all the stuff. There's got to be room for the brain to grow. But it's interesting as we get older, the, the brain, the skull fuses up really strong. So all the little sutures that make room in the skull bone structure so the brain can grow, those fuse up. And now guys like us and people listening at home have to know that you're going to prune back 
areas of your brain to make new connections in the brain. That's how it works. Hmm. But if every day you have cranial rectal syndrome, and I'm sure you know what cranium and rectums are, that's when you have your head so far up your ass you couldn't see two inches in front of your face, and this is the way you see the world, then your brain consistently fires that way and you become the pessimist who logs on to Facebook and screams at the world that they're all wrong and their blood pressure's going up. They're getting sicker. And yeah, I'm like, I don't no. want to be part of that. No, if, it, it, if you, uh, you know, people, people will see how you live. And if you, if you want to change somebody, yeah, that, that's the way. Yes. Yeah, you, wow, that's a profound statement. And I've, that saved so much pain for myself. You know, being married for as many years, you and I have been married for a long time, you more than I have. You know, there are a lot of years where I was trying to change my wife. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't change her. By the way, what was wrong with her when I met her? She was beautiful. <laughs> she was young, young. She's not young. doesn't matter. She's still beautiful. She's intelligent. I make her laugh. She's fun. We enjoy each other. And those are the lenses that I saw her through. And I loved her for that. And then one day, like a dope, I took the lenses off and I put on a dirtier set of glasses. And then I saw her insecurity. I saw her jealousy. I saw her anxiety. And then I left the glasses on and never took them off. For how long? For years. And therefore I struggled. Until I took them back off and I put the other pair on and I was like, oh my God, my <laughs> wife is amazing. Why are you trying to change something that was perfect when you met her? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, just love them the way you are. I just can't say it enough. Don't try to change people because it's futile. You'll drive yourself insane. You'll be sick as a pig trying to do it over and over and over. You, How many kids you have? Four. What just happened in your door? In your door? I don't know if you want to speak of it, but she, unfortunately, because of what's going on. Yeah, she's supposed to get married on Sunday. But it's you know, obviously it's put off uh, at least a few months. That's not easy. Yeah, no, she's pretty bummed. Is she coping? She's all right. She's yeah. all right. She's she's uh, she was working, you know, in, sort of in the school system. So she's home now, yeah. And she's not used to that. Is and, she living uh, at your house or she is now? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's driving her nuts. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, but, one of my patients was in the other day. She was going to elope to um, Vegas, and this happened. And she had it all set up in advance. It just didn't happen. Yeah, it's kind of funny with my daughter. She had, they were thinking, well, we'll just do a small ceremony on the date and do a big party later. And I think, you know, after a little bit of coaching, she made, I think, a very mature decision to wait yeah. and and have the wedding that she always dreamed of right. when when it's time. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Don't, the, don't be satisfied with, you know, his family's from in, L, in L.A., so they couldn't come anyway. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like, hey, you know what? Anyway. How so. old is your daughter? 25. So she, I, I don't mean to make up her life, but obviously she's got a little bit of time to work with. Oh, yeah. So yeah. if it yeah. happens next year. In my family, everybody gets married early, though, so she feels a certain pressure, I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? I think she'll be probably, Silly. she'll yeah. probably have a, a greater perspective in a year yeah. from now. No, I think she will, too. And she's a beautiful girl. And uh, I think in, uh, in in the right time, it'll be the, the way to do it. Yeah. Yep. And you, you're you not a grandpa yet, are you? No, I've got number 10 on the way. Well, <laughs> you have 10 grandkids? Well, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Almost 10. Yeah. When is number 10 coming? August. You excited? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, actually, that baby's supposed to be born in Alaska, but uh, Scott's a uh, Air Force trauma doctor. Yeah. And so he's down in Texas. They may not, uh, he was supposed to go do four years in Anchorage. And so he's had one baby born in California, one born in, 
in Texas, and this one was supposed to be born in Alaska, but they may uh, not allow military movement this year at all. No kidding. How, yeah. how old is your oldest grandchild? Uh, six. Six. So nine kids under six. Bring me back to that day. What's it like <laughs> to become a grandfather? I know what it's like to become a dad. Uh, it's, it's it's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly blessed. All of my kids are awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank God for your wife. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My my best my biggest thing you'll you'll soon find this you know when in the in the time when your kids get older but I think the thing you're most proud of they're all very successful yeah but uh, you know whether they're doctors or finance guys or t- school teachers or whatever they're all very successful but to watch them be good parents yeah. is absolutely fu- blows away anything else you'd be proud of isn't it true like even with your own kids when you look at just how, obviously they've done well but they came from you and your wife. And I look at my wife and I, and, and I said to her, you know, we've had a lot of struggles. Relationships take a lot of work. Uh, but when I look at the kids, that's what tells me that we did a good job. That's your fruit. That's your fruit, right? And there was this little statement I made once. I, sometimes I'm so full of crap, it's unbelievable. But I, <laughs> I just come up with stuff and I thought, somebody asked me about insanity is doing the same thing, expecting to get the same result, you know, whatever. I was like, yeah, insanity to me is valuing the opinion of another person whose tree of life is barren of fruit. Yeah. I was like, what, what, was that Nietzsche? Where'd that come from? <laughs> I go, that just came from me. And I'm like, oh my God, I've, I've been writing down some of these things that I've been saying over the years and, and it's like wisdom. And say, like, where does that stuff come from? Yep. It comes from experience. Right. That, that's why you're supposed to respect your elders because they're wise. They're wise, right? And they're telling you you're a wise ass. I heard that all my <laughs> life. But one thing that I've learned about wisdom is that it, you don't want to waste the wisdom on your youth because you need to screw it up and party and be crazy and just have fun. If you knew what you were supposed to do, then we'd all be good. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't work that way. No, but you, you actually, you and I had, a, had an interesting conversation last time I was in. And we were talking about a mutual friend and that the three of us all had, for whatever reason, whether it was the way our parents were or just happened to be neighbors that were elders. Yeah. But we were we were both talking about it. And, and Chris, the same thing, that just love hanging out with older people. Yeah. And uh, whether it's in a coffee shop or a church or, or, or whatever, and just sucking in that wisdom. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My wife has grown so much over these years. Um, it's just, it's wonderful to see her go from where she was when I met her to develop herself and be amazing. So she's taking care of a woman in this, uh, my wife works for this company that takes care of elderly people. So it, obviously she works for me and then she immediately, that's why I love her. She'll leave the office and then just go and help these people out. So this one woman that she's spending time with and, and, you know, supporting her and caring for her, she's 99 years old. Wow. And she fought, she didn't fight. She was a spy in World War II. And just 10 years ago, they declassified all of her, her missions and all of her stuff so they could talk about it now. So she was taking downed U.S. pilots in Europe, getting them out of Europe, back to the States for retraining to come back and fight again. Wow. And she's been telling Lisa all these stories hmm. about what she did, how she did it, all this stuff. And she's kind of, she's so humble and oblivious to what's going on. She's like... I just got a medal by the OSS. Do you know what that is? <laughs> I, Lisa says, do you know what the OSS is? I go, 
uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say no. She goes, it's the CIA. Yeah, the precursor to the it CIA. It was the precursor to right. the CIA. So they gave her this gold medal and I went to meet the woman and I was so impressed by her. And I felt inadequate, you know, in that moment. And I know I have my own my own reason and trajectory in life to be what I am. But I look at her and I'm like, wow. And she goes, they're writing a book about me. So they send somebody over every week from the Boston Globe mm-hmm. to sit with me and interview me about these missions and about what I went through and wow, all that's that so hell. cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. She told Lisa, she goes, listen, I was, I, sometimes I'd be followed by these men that were spies, German spies, and they would make me, they'd know who I was. And then I'd call in that night through an encrypted uh, whatever, like an Enigma machine, and I would tell him what's going on. And then he would disappear. <laughs> she would say, and then he would disappear. He wouldn't be following me anymore. Right? He just, and that's, that's something he she said. She goes, very he, heavy cement shoes. And I thought, my God. Now that's when they just, I get that through movies, right? I don't get it from the real person telling you that story. Yeah, that says, so cool. I'm like, oh my God, I want to spend time with her. So she's got a birthday coming up. I'm just hoping that some of this passes and that so you can go to I it. could go to right, it and right. see her. Yep. So I sat and I sat with her, brought my son over. She says, this your son? I go, yes, this is Lorenzo. And of course my son finally shines, you know, when he's outside of my grip and he's like, nice to meet you. And he gets right up in there. I'm like, oh my God, talk about that again. You know, your kid's just shining in that yep. moment. Yep. And to have those stories about somebody, and I'm so attached to that, somebody that would fight for me and put their life on the line at 99 at 29 any age i think that this country owns a tremendous debt of gratitude for the people who enlist themselves to go take care of us and it just doesn't always seem like it is that way yeah bums me. well what's going to be interesting with this virus which we're trying not to talk about but we keep talking about i know it's in there somewhere is uh is that there are there are new heroes yeah and uh and i mean whether it's the the doctors the nurses obviously they're the most visible but you know, even the people that are in the hospital serving the meals, yeah. that are cleaning the rooms, they're, they're all exposed to it, and they're working crazy hours. I know a number of people in this position, and I was telling you that, you know, where, where my son is a doctor, they're dealing with it over there, but they also are bleeding off a bunch of the military doctors and sending them to New York right now. Yeah. So now they're working with a smaller staff in Texas in order to... Yeah, you can't even get procedures done now. Right. I mean, ancillary procedures, if you... I have a, a patient that was in today. She <clears throat> had an MRI, has a torn meniscus in her knee. It's very painful for her at the moment. Of course. Yeah. And the doctor says, you know, I'd like to be able to fix this, but, um, you know, it's just not going to happen right now. Right. It can't happen. That was the first one. Second one today, I had to refer a gentleman, a very close friend of mine, who had a back issue and some other stuff. I said, you know what? I, I think this is actually a degenerative hip. Not from the backside, like the pelvis in the front and the ball in the socket. That's what's going on here. Sent him over to see my buddy who's an orthopedic surgeon. And he said, yeah, yeah, Dr. Bercoco is right. That's what's happening here. And I need to, I don't need to do surgery on it, but I need to do a cortisone injection. But unfortunately, you're looking at maybe three months until I can give it to That's you. That's elective, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, there definitely will be heroes coming out of this. Uh, you know, hopefully the heroes will find a, 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 a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> But and I hope they get the credit that they deserve right, for everything right. they've been through. Yeah, <laughs> I saw a National Guard physician assistant passed away. Uh, you know, and the guy's fit as a fiddle, yeah. young, handsome kid with a family. And <sighs> I'm like, man, you know, he's in there working these 14-hour days treating these, and he just got it. And yeah, it didn't last. That's so weird. You know, we don't really even. I mean, I say we. It's hard to know 
who's really going to live or die. Like you look at this gentleman that passes on. I don't know if you saw the story of a woman who's, I think she has cancer. She's, she's got 9 million things wrong with her. She's 91 years old. She beats it. <laughs> it's like, tell me, those people are going to die. No, it's, it's true. She made, some, some people are just made of steel. Made of steel. Yeah. You know, my mother's 92 coming up. And, you know, she's had cancer removed from her head last week. Just skin cancer, right? And she's all bandaged up. And we're killing ourselves laughing because, she, you know, you look like Rambo. You know? Wow. You do first blood. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm teasing her about it. So <clears throat> it was kind of funny. And this yeah. is my mom's perspective. She says to me, I called over. She lives with my sister. And I called over to my sister. And this was like two and a half weeks ago when things were still weren't where they are today. Right. right, right. I called and I said to my sister, you want to come over for dinner? And she said, I do. I miss the kids and I want to come over. I said, okay. And I said, uh, listen, I, I don't want mom to come. I, I, that's not what I'm asking for. She goes, hold on, let me ask her. So she asks my mom, do you want to go over to Peter's for dinner? So she sends me back a message and she says, uh, yeah, she wants to come. And I'm kind of uneasy about it because I'm like, you know, I shouldn't. But then this 91-year-old lady filled with cancer and crap survives, right? <laughs> so anyway, I, I left it up to my mom. Right. So I said, so what do you want to do? And she said, listen, when the good Lord wants me, I'm ready to go. But for right now, I'm going to come over and continue to live and be with my son and my grandkids. Right. Now, that's not let's go to a party with 100,000 people. Exactly. I, I, I yeah. want to be responsible yeah. as well. Right. But, right. you know, my house is cleaned. It, it's very appropriate here. And, I, and you just still don't know. But I loved her attitude. You know, mm -hmm. it's that old world attitude. Like life is important and we need to spend time together. Although we need to be responsible. Oh, yeah. As well. No, no, it's, it's funny that, uh, again, wisdom. And I remember my one of my grandmothers was going in for heart surgery. She was really, really sick. And uh, and I went in, you know, to visit with her right before the surgery. And I was like, you sure you want to do this? And she said, no, I, I don't have a choice. You know, yeah. I uh, if, if I don't, I'm going to I'm going to pass on. So she's like, I'm going to do it. And she said, you know what, if I live and it works out. I get to be with my grandchildren and my family. And if it doesn't, I get to go be with the Lord. There you go. And it didn't work out. She got to go be with the Lord. But, uh, but you know. But you heard her say it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That hits me right here when I hear that. Yeah. yeah, she was a wonderful woman, you know. And how old was she? Uh, she was probably about 80 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandmother, I've told the story once before, but I'm sure people who are listening haven't heard it. Um, but my grandmother was 94. And I was, she came here to the house because I bought my parents' home. So I'm upstairs and we're having a conversation, sitting at the at the table, the dinner table, which is where all the old timers have their best, you know, communication. So I'm sitting with her, we're talking. And she got talking about Fenway Park in Boston when she was a kid. And she said, yeah, I went and saw Babe Ruth pitch in game two of the 1918 World Series in Boston. Wow. I was like, wait, wow, what? I looked it up. She had every detail correct. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But not then, because you couldn't look it up. Right. You know, but now, I just recently, as I told that story recently, I looked it up. Man, she was right. But 1918, Babe Ruth was playing for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. She yep. says, that cost me 25 cents. <laughs> to go watch the game and 10 cents to take the tea. Well, now, she was born in Back in those days, the players, they had to work all off season with a real job. Right? Yeah. They only got two jerseys. Here's a really funny story. Um, a patient of mine, he, he's a young man in his 30s and his father's in his 60s. He was a retired um, state police officer and he this, this young boy was a mess. He had a, a really tough brain injury and it was right down my alley. So I said, listen, I think I can help your son. 
and I begin the work. Well, the son starts to do really, really well. And the father is just like any dad who has a child who's hurting, you know, your heart goes out for your kid. And here I come helping out his son and helped him to get where he wanted to be. So it was this awesome connection. But every day that he would come into the office, the father with the son, he would, we just talk and he became very trusting of me and what I was doing. So he told the story of how his father was friends with Ted Williams. Hmm. I'm like, not his father, his grandfather. I'm like, He goes, yeah. He goes, so I was over Graham's house one time. My grandfather had passed. And Graham said, could you take this stuff to the Goodwill? It was a trash bag. And it was filled with stuff. And so he goes, I open it up. And I see a number six on a Boston Red Sox jersey. And I go, oh, that's Ted Williams' number. Just kind of, ha, ha. Right. So the grandma goes, oh, yeah, that was Teddy's. He gave it to dad, but you can just get rid of it. <laughs> She's like in her late 80s, so she wow. doesn't really have much to do with it, right? But she didn't think much of it. And he goes, Mom, uh, uh, Graham, can I keep it? Yeah, and there's a hat in there too. So his hat was in there, was signed on the brim, wow. Ted's hat, right? So he had them authenticated by Major League Baseball. Wow. They got two jerseys, that's how I know this, all season long. They had to pay for their own jerseys. Wow. The number six. Wow. And then they took the, the one of the great photos of Ted Williams hitting the ball out over the right field. And it's a beautiful photograph. It's a famous photograph. And he's staring off as the ball goes out. And they authenticate that the shirt he's wearing is the shirt that this guy is in possession of. Wow. I was like, what? What did you do with it? Do you have it? He goes, I tried to sell it to the Boston Red Sox. They didn't want it. Wow. Dan Duquette. Jeez. Who kind of goofed everything up. I said, what did you do? I sold it to a private collector for $300,000. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I go, you still have the hat? He goes, yeah, I still have that. It's <laughs> like, holy wow. crud, the wow, history. that's cool, huh? That is really cool. You know, and since this, I've been doing a lot of whatever at home. I've been watching Nesson. I'm watching Bruins, old Bruins like games. Like old stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been really good. You know, this morning I wake up and... I took a shower, I got ready to go to work and I laid down on the bed and I'm just kind of happy and the the shades are up. My my house is facing the eastern uh, direction and the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. So there's this awesome sun on my face. So I lay backwards on the bed with my head kind of almost hanging off the edge of it to get the sun from the window because a small pane of window giving them that warm sun right. on the head. So I'm laying there and I'm like, I feel like I'm back in Miami last month. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm getting tickled in my right ear. Now I'm thinking that it's my kids messing with me. It's the damn cat, Bella. <laughs> Got a big plume of all these uh, whiskers and stuff and they're tickling me. And now I hear the Oh yeah. It doesn't stop, right? And now I get this. I finally look at her. I go, what's the deal with you? You're taking a bath? You're up inside my ear? And she looks at me and I go, get lost. So God is my witness. The cat stands up, turns around and starts massaging my nose with her tail. And now I'm tickled and I'm trying to get the the things out of my hair. And what does she do? She backs her ass up onto my face. And I... I felt like Piddles the Wonder Cat from way back in uh, the uh, uh, Benny Hill era when the cat used to walk by with the tail up and the butthole sticking out. <laughs> she ma- she takes the butthole and puts it up against my face. Oh I'm my like, God. what the hell is... And you know what she wanted? She wanted the sun. Yeah. I was yeah, stealing was, the sunshine. Stealing her, you're stealing her spot. So I'm laying there thinking to myself, 
is this what this is all about now? So funny. <laughs> Getting butt in your face in the middle of the morning. I'm like, holy crap. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. No. Life is good. I, I really, I, I look at where I'm at today and I, it's all about perspective. You and I have talked so much about how the importance of perspective and the way you want to see something and not to belittle the people out there who are really struggling, the frontline workers, the people in government, those that it's a 24 hour a day job and they're sweating their butt off to try to make this work. My hat's off to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, to be in a position of leadership right now is not an envi enviable position. No. You know, but it's pretty cool that, the, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, which you know, I think they just built in, what, 2,500 beds in New York? Right. You know, mini hospitals. Unbelievable. It's, un it's unreal what they're getting done. That ship, that the comfort oh, ship. Oh, isn't that cool? The comfort and the mercy. Yeah, I mean, I, I get emotional when I see things like uh, aircraft carriers and what they bring, the power and the might. Oh, yeah. But then you see something like that and you're like, wow, look what we can do. America is an amazing place. Well, if you think about what those ships have done in the past, I mean, they, they've been, to, you know, gone to war zones yeah. and, and supported our own men, but they've also gone to every natural uh, disaster, whether in Haiti, earthquakes, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I think this is the first time that they've responded to a disaster at home. Number two. Yeah. That same ship was in New York Harbor for 9-11. Oh, really? Okay. Which is really even more important for the people of New York to right, see it come right, back. Right, right. It's wow. like an old age symbol that says, I'm back. Yeah, it was and amazing how fast it got there from Virginia. Yeah. I mean, that thing set sail from Norfolk on, you know, Saturday, late, late morning, early afternoon, and it was in New York, you know, Sunday night. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in the media world said it couldn't happen oh i know but it did happen it happened way ahead of time it too. happened way ahead of time the navy the navy pulled out all the stops it, it's just a it's amazing it, like to be able to see that ship pull up and you're from new york it's got to give you some sense of uh relief i mean it doesn't make the day uh perfect but something's on its way and i love that about our country you know that for all the things that people say about our country I don't believe most of that. I believe that our country is made of amazing people. And sometimes they, you know, we, we put the, the spotlight maybe on the wrong sets of people because Americans are great people. Well, what's really cool about this country, and, and you know, this has been my observation for a very long time, is everybody that's here comes from an immigrant. Right. And the majority of the immigrants that came here risked a lot to get here. Everything. Okay. Some of them, literally everything. Some of them, you know, you go far enough back and you talk about unknowns. Yeah. I mean, they had big, you know what? Yeah. Keonis. You know, yeah. <laughs> male, male and female. Yeah. You know, you're right. I mean, across oceans, but you know, and so, so there's definitely a DNA in the American embodiment that I think is tougher, smarter, more determined, than, you know, people that are just born into regular countries. Right. And, and even a lot of the migrants that I've dealt with, uh, you know, now, whether it's Brazilian guys or some of the Central American guys I've got to know, I've got a lot of Asian friends, and uh, they are just hardcore. Yeah. You know, they really are. They Nothing nothing defeats them. Right. And and I think that that's, that really is the DNA of somebody that comes to America. Now, of course, there are exceptions yeah. that want to come for a free ride, but the majority, they want to work hard and they want to reap the benefit and their family reaps the benefit of their, you know, exposure and risk and hard work. Right. It's almost like it's a replenishment process. Yeah. 
You know, it's obviously there was a big influx in the early 1900s, late 1800s because of the status of the world at the time. And But we were primed for growth at that time. Like we didn't have all the best scientists of the world. You know, we were developing them. They were coming mm-hmm. here. And even today, we still need immigration. We need people to come here. And as long as it's all done by the letter of the law, I'm 100% for immigration. I think right. it's important for us. Right. And, you know, not to be political, I'm just like, I love people that will come here and work their butt off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to better themselves, but make America great. It. I yep. just, and we are great. No, I mean, it's, it, I mean you can get into the, the whole political thing, but basically if you, if you come here and you want to be, you know, regardless of where you're from and you can respect whether you're from Germany or you're from Thailand or wherever, you know, yeah. you have that respect for your culture, but ultimately you come to America, you want to be American. Yeah, assimilate, you know, become part of exactly. us. Exactly, and, yeah. you know, what is the definition of being American? Well, it's an idea. Yes, you're right. And I love the fact that you can come here, maintain who you are, where you came from, but bring it here mm-hmm. and open it up so that everybody can enjoy right. it. Including your own religion. Right, yeah, freedom to, to be able to express yourself the way you want to. Right. A lot of these these uh, rights that we have, you know, I, I fear that the young generation doesn't understand where they came from. Right. You know, they, they, they're not teaching history the way I learned it. And yet I'm addicted to history because if you want to see where you're going, just see where you came from. Right. You know, and then you know, we go, call them the big R rights. The ones that didn't come from government, they came from God. That's right. And, yeah. uh, and, and those are the ones that, you know, sadly, that people are always trying to take away. Right. And and it stinks because, and again, not to go political, but just the the polarizing effect is you've got 500 plus people that are in Washington that make the decisions for 330 million. What if they just don't do it well? Then we got to deal with it. Right. But luckily we have a democratic process where we could replace them. And hopefully somebody gets the message and starts to work for the little people. But right now, you know, it's like we're under the, we're under a new test. Right. To see what we're made of. What will mm-hmm. we be a come on the other side? Exactly. I firmly believe 100% that our nation will be better than it's ever been no, after this. I, I agree with you. There are already signs of things that will be better. More self-reliance. Yeah. You know, that's a big deal. More family. More family. I think family yeah. is, a, is a thing that we need to really rebuild or should I say reinvest in as an idea and, and a love. We need to be together with each other. Right. Make it a lifestyle again. Yeah. And make it important so that the next generation has that as well. Otherwise, we'll be a nation divided, not by political class, but just within individuals. We just won't talk to anybody anymore. Tribalism. Yeah, tribalism. But when you look at it, humans are built on tribes. You know, I always say that, that humans need tribes like bees need hives. There has to be some cohesion there. Something mm-hmm. has to be there. And we need each other. Mm-hmm. What we don't need to be doing is yelling and screaming at each other because our values and our thoughts are different than someone else's. It's we should be able to talk and have dialogue. But unfortunately, you know, I think we went a little too far in the last whatever number of years. And it's maybe something like this is something that wakes us back up and brings us back together again. 9-11 did it, didn't it? It did. It didn't last as long as didn't we, we as hoped long. it. We hoped it would. You're right. There were a lot of us that uh, saw flags on every single house and were hope were, was hopeful that they wouldn't come down. Yeah. And now we got to get them back. Right. We got to get them back, and maybe something. And I don't have the answer, but I have a podcast. Yep. You know, just well, you you do. You have a podcast, but you you're you're somebody who, you know, to go back to my earlier point, you touch you touch people one at a time. Yeah. And and it's amazing how, you know. 
unlike this virus. Right. But you say something to somebody that 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 touches them, changes their thinking, you know, readjusts their their lives a little bit, and you know darn right well they're going to share that with somebody else, who then is going to share it with somebody else, who's then going to, and that's a good virus. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I have to think that <clears throat> in my own life, I I ask the question, what what is it that I want to leave here to the world to know that I was here, and it's really it's it's perspective, and it's compassion. And I know that if I can help somebody else to ignite their own and to, de- to define or to, to understand who they are as a person, then they can take what I taught them, which I helped them to see, and do that for somebody else. Because I have mentors and people that did it for me. Right. So for every young, I call them young people, but for every young person that I'm life coaching at the moment, I'm like, you have to understand that I see something incredible in you and you don't know how I can see it. That's the whole process. I see it because I have 55 years of experience and I've been absolutely, undeniably connected to this my entire life. So I see you before you even see yourself. So it's my passion to show you yourself so that you can discover who you are, but not change who you are. Let you be who you need to be and stop this self-deprecating attitude because you're amazing. Let you be your, your best you. Exactly. You know, I was, I was on last night with a young lady and I'm like, it's a lifetime to figure out truly who you are. And it's even harder when the world is yapping at you constantly. You have to have those moments where you're either in, in yoga, you're in meditation, you're in prayer, you're in quiet time. And in the quiet time is when the brain slows down its frequency and then you're allowed to access the events of your life and use them. And we call that wisdom. And how many events have gone on, you and me together, uh, we're, let's see, 100 plus years of life in two men. The amount of experiences that you and I have had in our lifetime are vast. They're numbers. We don't even remember half of them. But our brain knows they're there. And then out of nowhere, in the right moment, at the right time, I get an overwhelming rush of emotion. I know you do too. And you're like, whoa. And then you stop for a minute and you quiet yourself and you steady yourself. And then out it comes. And I'm sure you gave this to your daughter when she was trying to figure out what she was going to do with her wedding, how you put your arm around her, you just love her, and you say the right thing at the right time to soften her mood, to show her that she's loved. And you're like, and sometimes I go, whoa, how did I get that? How did that happen to me? That's the calling for this guy, right? Yep. That's who I am. So when I leave this place, I hope that whatever I've been able to help other people get in their own lives, that they just keep passing it along so that we can all be better and have a better life together. Right. Because it's about unity. It's about being together. There's a great book by Matthew Lieberman. It was called Social. And it argues the point that the size of the human brain isn't so we can put man on the moon, even though that's an amazing accomplishment for, for humanity. It's about how do we become a tribe that can love and support each other through community, through prayer, through time spent, through uh, adversity and support each other. So therefore, if I built my own tribe, I'm going to need somebody like yourself in it. And you're going to need somebody like me in it mm-hmm. because we bring different vibes and energies that is collective. We might need an accountant. We might need a medical doctor. We might need a mom. But we don't need any lawyers. We don't <laughs> We don't need no education. Yeah. I certainly don't want to sue anybody. I want to try to figure it out. Yeah. But it, it's pretty awesome when I, I feel so blessed. And I think I feel even more blessed now, not because of the epidemic, but because of the fact that I'm able to sit down, have a ginger ale with you and a microphone. And in the modern world, 
we can talk. And people who are at home are going, yeah, good. At least I get a break from all that junk and listen to two aging dinosaurs <laughs> talk bullshit for a while, right? Why not? It just is what it is. But uh, I wanted to just thank you so much today for coming over, just hanging out with me and shooting the poop because I love being around you and I love your energy and we're a good match together. So I thought, what the heck? This would be really cool. My pleasure, man. Yeah. Love it. I just want to say to everybody listening at home as well, uh, Mark's uh, new business is called Spec Ops Tool Gear. It's on, uh, it's a dot com. You can check it out there. You'll love the products, the sweatshirts. And it's also on Instagram, yeah. And, um, and you know, if you go to my site, you'll see some of the endorsements I give for Mark. And, and for two reasons, because I, I think Mark is one of those people that um, really has his head and his heart in the right place. And to be able to give back to, you know, the families of fallen warriors, I mean, nothing touches my heart more than that. So I absolutely love that and, and what he represents. So <clears throat> I just wanted to leave that out there. Number two, or should I say the last piece here is, um, my life coaching business is starting to really go. I was just doing it one-on-one at home. But if you're interested and you need some help, just go onto my website at drprococo.com. It's D-R-P-E-R-C-U-O-C-O.com. And when you go there, you'll see the life coaching page. Just click on it. At the bottom, it says, let's connect. Just send me an email and say, hey, listen, can you help me with some things that are going on? And then I'll contact you and we can have a, a simple Zoom uh, video conference and I can help. So if that's something you want to do, you're always welcome to. So um, I'm going to say thanks again to my good friend, uh, Mark Wombolt. This is Dr. P and I'll see you next time on the Daily Inspirational Podcast.